Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today we're going to have a conversation about millennials and working with millennials and hopefully about some things that people of my older generation can do to be less irritating or more supportive of millennials. Um, so Jenny Majorski has joined us today and so is John Tanner. So um, thank you guys for being here. Jenny will be playing the part of the millennial. John will be playing the part of the person in the middle. And I will be the old man who is yelling at everyone to get off his lawn. <laughs> so, uh, Jenny, can you talk a little bit about your background um, before we get started with the interview? Sure. Uh, so, um, like you mentioned, my name is Jenny Majorski. And right now I'm working at a company called Huge, uh, which is a digital agency. And there I work as a project manager. Um, prior to that, I was a program manager um, with a company called SRA. and um, I've also worked as a business analyst, a proposal writer, and manager, so um, have a little bit of experience in those fields. Okay. And John? Yeah, so um, John Tanner, work at Leading Agile, a uh, fantastic company if you haven't heard about it. Uh, I work as an SVP there, which basically means um, working across multiple accounts that we have, uh, introducing Agile to organizations and kind of working with their executive leadership to make sure we implement it right. Prior to that, I also worked at SRA, so that's where I ran into Ginny Midorski, and she was one of our rising stars there in multiple ways within that organization, so definitely wanted to get her on and have a chat with her. Okay. Um, I appreciate you guys taking the time for this. Jenny, I, one of the first things that I want to ask you about when I was kind of researching and getting ready for this, um, I came across one of the interviews you had done previously where you talked about your majors in college or your areas of focus in college, which I, I noticed on your LinkedIn profile. That's a pretty bizarre combination of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not typically grouped together, but um, as you know, I majored in mechanical engineering and I minored in theater studies. Um, again, like you said, it's not a, a typical combination, but to me, it's been kind of a secret weapon, to be honest. Um, you know, the, the mechanical engineering background has given me kind of that analytical mindset, the problem solver mindset. Um, but the theater background has given me kind of the, the empathetic angle, being able to understand people um, in, in a different set of shoes, um, being able to approach problems uh, kind of with a different mindset. Um, and also actually a big part of, uh, of, of that was teamwork, right? You're coming together with a cast of people that you maybe haven't met before. And in three weeks when the show goes up, you're going to have to be their best friend on stage. Okay. Um, so how do you make that happen? So I think that that kind of has given me a, a big advantage in the workplace of uh, being able to come together with a new team and figure out how to be how to be that team. Yeah. It's, so when I when I saw it, I was like, that's really bizarre. And then I was thinking it's probably perfect for project management because you've yeah. got the, the engineering side as well as the soft skill side. Um, so how do you define millennial? Let's start out with that. So I think there's there's some debate, right, about the actual years that are the cutoffs. Um, but I think the last I heard, it's people that are currently between the age of 18 and 35. Okay. So this is a generation, how would you characterize it? Because they are different from, I was Gen X, so that I'm the one that before that. But how do you characterize millennials? So, so this is where, you know, I'll, I'll caveat by saying that I am not an expert in millennial you're speaking for trends everyone. and characteristics. No, you're the voice yeah, so. of all of them right now. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and I, I represent a, a very small sliver of the millennial generation. Um, there's a whole host of others out there that I, I don't have the experience of, of being in their shoes. Um, 
but I think overall, from from what I understand, you know, uh, millennials tend to value um, experience over over stuff. Um, we, you know, some of the negative traits that people will say are that we're um, impatient, that we uh, that we uh, expect kind of um, a lot of feedback um, and coaching. Um, but, you know, again, in my experience, I think we're, we're driven and we, um, we, we kind of value the quality of our experience rather than the quantity of it. Okay. Okay. And, and how would you characterize, I mean, when you, when you're interacting with other folks that are not of your generation, are there specific, are there standard things that you would say, like the same way that we would say, ah, oh, millennials, do you do that about, are there things about the other generations that are challenging to work with? And John, I would ask you to kick in on this as well if you if you know of anything. Yeah, get off my lawn, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you kids. Uh, um, no, I mean, I think so. Again, uh, from from my personal experience, I I like working with diverse groups of people. So people who um, have been there a long time and have that perspective versus people who are just starting out in their careers. I think that. Um, having kind of that, that meld of all kinds of different, um, points of, of life and points of view, uh, create, uh, better ideas in the end. Okay. Um, so, but okay, let's, I'll, I'll try to be, I'll try to be critical here and find something that's difficult. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, what's been, what was frustrating, especially to me in the, um, and I'm, I'm still early in my career, but even earlier than now, um, is the, the big focus on kind of quantity of, of experience. So, you know, do you have 15 years of experience doing this thing? Um, and that, that was, uh, you know, really frustrating to me initially because, you know, there's what, what's the point if you're, if you're someone who kind of has sat in the same seat for 15 years and, and done the same thing over and over again, right? Like how, how does that make you more qualified than someone who has done a lot of different things and experienced kind of a breadth of, of different problems, um, but has only done it for a short period of time. I think now, now that I've kind of gone a little bit further in my career, I think the, the kind of the, the secret magic combination of quality and quantity is where it's really at. Um, you definitely need that, but, um, qual quantity without quality, I think is, is frustrating to see an emphasis on that. Yeah. And John, what about you? You've got anything? here to contribute yep. other than get off my lawn? I do, I do. So I'm, I'm a little bit over the edge for millennial, right? We say that 35-year-old cutoff, that's on the old side of it. I'm just a couple years beyond that. But but I find myself relating a lot more with, with the millennial generation than the Gen Xers, um, just because I think my, my attitudes and work ethic kind of fall in line with theirs. And one of the distinctions that I always found was um, Gen Xers and, and baby boomers really thought of work as a place they go, right? They thought of it as a place they go, things they do. Um, millennials think of work more as something they accomplish, right? It's a part of their life. They're, they're getting something done, but they're not tied to a brick building, right? They're not tied to a specific set of things that they must practice every day like a ritual. So I was just say that, I mean, that by itself is a really interesting thing. And, and I've seen that as well. Like my father's generation, um, you joined a company and you stayed there for your whole career. And now that things have changed and the company is not as loyal to the employee and the employee is not as loyal to the company, a lot of us do skip around. And, you know, here, you're here one day, you're there somewhere else the next. I think it causes a different way you interact with people. Like, you know, you said, Jenny, you've got this cast 
that you're working with for a short period of time on a project or, you know, anything, um, you're with a group of people at a company for a short period of time. The relationships that you build have to be able to go deeper and, and the, the good ones have to be able to withstand the people shifting around. Right. You- but, uh, you know, I, I think that um, the skipping around is not necessarily, um, I think, a bad thing. Uh, and I, I was reading an article about this recently where, yeah, kind of the employee-employer relationship has changed and right. companies, you know, the companies that, that are succeeding will expect their people to to be gone in a few years. Um, but what's what's important is kind of keeping that alumni network alive yeah. um, and knowing that, you know, if you, if you train your employees to be, to be um, strong uh, performers now, uh, just because they leave doesn't mean that, you know, they could come back, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a constantly flowing thing. So um, it's, it's a good thing for everyone to kind of up the, the level of the workforce in general, um, rather than just trying to keep your employees where they're at. Yeah, I, I wasn't saying that skipping around was bad. I actually think it's, it's pretty good. I, I'm maybe similar to you in that I get a little bit scared when I meet somebody who's been one place for 20 years because I, my, I'm thinking, did you not figure it out? Like after five years, why didn't you go somewhere else? <laughs> go challenge yourself with something else. But um, it's interesting that the idea about coming back, I mean, is that, do you find that mentor-wise, because you, you mentioned that's something that millennials look for, do you find that you're, you're able to get that from the older generation? Are they looking at people like, oh, you're going to take off in two years, why should I invest the time? No, not at all. I, I I find that people are eager to mentor and um, excited to kind of welcome the new generation into the workforce um, and to learn from them too. Uh, that was something that I, I found really kind of refreshing as um, when I started my career is uh, there's there's kind of a big movement, I feel like, in, in most companies now to have this culture of like best idea wins regardless of where it comes from. Um, so I was really pleased to find out that people wanted, you know, junior employees at the table. They wanted to hear the ideas that we had and how they were different from the, the kinds of ideas that have been kicked around before. Um, so that was really refreshing to me. John, John, would you agree? Yeah. So I think, I think one of the things that's enabled that mentor mentality is, is really driven a lot by technology, right? So Jenny, you and I, we were connected on Facebook. We both went to an alumni thing the other day uh, because we got a we got a notification from our past colleagues. It's easy to keep those relationships, and they mm-hmm. they grow a lot easier. It's no longer you know uh, you're my mentor for life, buddy. Let's get on the golf course. It's now just they're there. They're there at a moment's notice, whether it's a text or an email, social network, something. You can always reach out and stay in touch. So it's not this arduous task. And I know myself uh, throughout my career. I've collected mentors and not just stuck with one. Mm-hmm. I've got four or five people that I consider mentors today that I can call up and will help me. And sometimes those reverse and I become a mentor in some situations. And I really think that's, it gets down to that. It's no longer necessarily loyalty to a company. It's loyalty to an idea or a group of friends or a group of people uh, that you associate with. Uh, in my case, it's very much the agile community uh, and smart people that I've met along the way. Uh, it's, not, it's not a particular organization. It's more, more of an ideal yeah, like a collection of, of strong relationships that you build. Yeah, 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 pretty much. So instead of instead of those relationships being you had to show up at the brick and mortar place every single day, 
those connections go with you no matter where you go. It's kind of a, a transient mentor group that you work with uh, and you build it throughout your life. So this, I mean, this could potentially have a significant impact down the road on how people treat them, you know, people that work for them. I, I want to call them employees, but I feel like I'm about to say it like it's a negative thing. Um, I've worked for places where they tried to grind you down. I've worked for managers who tried to just, you know, beat you into submission, basically. But they're not, you're not going to stick with those people. You're not going to get the network. And if if you're talking mm-hmm. about experiences, the value that you get out of a company, in addition to pay or whatever else, could be those mentors or those relationships. How are you going to be enriched by those people? That's right. Road? So that's kind of interesting. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned brought something into my head that another another millennial that I interviewed at the Agile conference mentioned. He said that in the generation where you've always had access to the internet, there is not so much focus on getting down to the very bottom depths of a particular topic. They would rather have a higher level understanding of a wider range of things, whereas people in the older generations want to dig down and become expert in fewer things. Do you do you agree with that? Um, partially, I think. Uh, I, I think it depends on on the person. Um, for me personally, I, I would agree. Like my, I, I find my strength is in being a, a generalist, someone who can kind of poke their head above the water and, and see the landscape. Um, but I, I also know a lot of millennials who who really want to hone their craft and really um, dig into a, a specific um, problem set or skill set and get really 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 good at it. Um, the point of of you know having having the internet at your fingertips, um, I, I think, what makes both of those types of people. Um, more effective and more, more efficient at kind of doing what they're trying to do. So being a generalist, yes, you can, you can go and learn about anything on the internet. Uh, but being a specialist is the same thing. You can go and really, uh, dig in on, um, any piece of information that, that you want to become an expert in. Okay. But temp, I guess, short-term expert, like a quick hit, just enough to get started. I guess a a lot of people, maybe in my generation, we're still worried the internet's going to break and we're not going to have access to it. And we're not mm. going to be able to find our encyclopedias anymore, which would be very <laughs> problematic. Um, what are, and this would be a question for both of you. What are things that employees or employers can do to make it more accommodating for millennials in the workplace? Like what kinds of things make it more enticing? I mean, you're at huge right now. There must've been something about that place that made you want to leave where you were before. So that's interesting, right? Because if you, if you look at uh, huge, like initially, right, we, you can bring your dog to work. We have, um, you know, snacks and drinks in the office. It's an open floor plan. So all of that are nice perks. But to me, at least the real draw is the mission centered work and the user centric work. So it's getting to work with interesting clients who have interesting problems. Um, and SRA was the same way too. At SRA, you couldn't bring your dog to work, and and you know there were you're sitting on client site in my case, so there were a lot of other restrictions. But it was still mission focused work. Uh, it was interesting problems to solve, and it was something that you could really kind of sink your teeth into. Um, so those are the things that I look for, and I I kind of see others in my generation looking for those things as well. 
um, you know, the, the kind of the work space and place are, are nice, nice to haves and nice perks, but they're not the things that will be fulfilling in the end. In the end, what's fulfilling is work that you care about work that you want to come to work for eight hours a day for. Okay. So John, before I comment, do you have anything you want to throw down on this? Yeah. Back in the nineties when, you know, when I was getting going, starting really coding, I was reading books on, you know, how do you become a good developer? How do you hire good developers? And there were so many books coming out about hiring rock stars that yeah. there's, there's one book I read that literally, you know, even if your office isn't in New York, get a helicopter and fly that rock star to the top of a restaurant in a helicopter, treat him to dinner. <laughs> That's how you're going to land the top talent. And that always stuck in my head, right? So we've, we've shifted away from the mindset of wanting rock stars. Instead, uh, we all want to play in a band, right? Jenny mentioned earlier the term, you know, uh, best idea wins. That's how employers are really enticing, you know, the smart talent nowadays. If you can come in the door with the great ideas and not have to get your tenure first, yeah. then you're going to get the best of those people and they're going to be energized. If it takes them a five-year tenure track to even be, you know, in the room where, where decisions are made, you're not going to hang on to them that long. They're going to flip after two years and find somewhere else. So that mentality of it being focused on the individual, focused on the rock star, growing that rock star, instead it being really about the band or the chorus and us all working mm-hmm. together. That's been the major shift, I think. So one of the things both you guys have, I've been thinking while you've both been talking is that there's definitely a shift in the way that people look at employer employers. So whereas maybe my dad's generation, it was, you know, you were just grateful to that place for giving you a job and you do whatever they want. And I think that started to shift a little bit towards my generation, but with 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 millennials, I guess it sounds like you are consumers of employers. You find the one that's mm. going to give you the best experience, and and what they're competing with. Whereas before, it might have been playstations or foosball tables or you know half day Friday or whatever. Now it's the work, and I'm thinking probably also the people. Like, do I get to go to this place and work on cool problems with smart people? Exactly. And and I, they experience, I, yeah. back to the experience thing. That's what drives it. So that's a big shift too, especially away from the rock star thing, because you don't want one rock star. You want a whole group of really brilliant people that can all collaborate too. Yeah, it's, it's something that uh, I mentioned to Jenny just the other day um, was, you know, it used to be, it used to be, if you're the smartest person in the room, you know, you found your company for life. Now, if you're the smartest person in the room, it's time to leave the room. Yeah, you're in the, you're you're in the wrong room. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. And, and John, to add a little bit to what you're saying about kind of wanting to be part of that band, I think that that's um, kind of, I, I, I hope that that's also a shift in kind of hiring techniques as well, right? It's right now, I think that there's still this mentality of like, you want to hire the best person for the job. And um, that's kind of a, a, a defensive statement for, um, you know, like in terms of diversity, like we don't, we don't care what you look like or where you come from. Like, we just want to hire the best person for the job. I think that that's temporary. I think where, where it's really shifting to is we want to hire the best team for the job. And by saying that, right, that necessarily mandates diversity. Your team is not going to be strong enough if you if everybody's thinking the same exact way and they come from exactly the same background. You can only have a strong team when you have a diversity of opinions, a diversity of background, a diversity of skill set, um, and and a diversity of kind of people's personalities as well. So when you're talking about diversity, which you were just mentioning a moment ago, Jenny, um, 
Do you find that interacting with people from different age groups or, you know, maybe there's a gender thing or not, but does that, does that require a different set of skills? Like, do you have to bring certain tools to the table if you're interacting with millennials that might be different if you're interacting with another group? Yeah. I mean, I think that applies for every individual, right? And again, like having a theater background, you kind of see how people perform their roles. Um, and so you figure out how to respond to them in a way that, um, that they will accept. Um, so yeah, certainly, you know, people, people respond to different things differently. And so, um, I think that's another one of my strengths that I can kind of, uh, float between different ways of speaking to people and, and relating to them, um, so that they, so that it's kind of on their level. Does okay. that make sense? It does. I, I guess sort of where I was going was if you're, whether it's a client or people internally, if you're going to be in a room that's just full of people from your own generation, are you going to have a different approach to speaking and, you know, whatever other soft skills you, you bring to the table in that room than you would if you're in a room with an older generation? Because maybe because they're tuned differently, they pick up on different things, they respond to different things. So, so to me, the bigger difference is between, for example, you know, being in a room full of um, coworkers and colleagues versus being in a room full of clients, right? Like, obviously, okay. there's a big difference there between how you approach um, someone who's on your team versus someone who you're working for. Um, in terms of different ages and, and um, genders, I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I try to, um, I, I don't see a huge difference in approach there. Okay. Okay. The, uh, I'm trying to think of a way to get get to a, a, a question about how the other generations can be better disposed towards supporting and helping millennials. Like, for example, when I first started to work with millennials, I, I was completely beside myself. I'm like, this guy wants an office. He wants everybody to listen <laughs> to him. Why should we listen to him? He's only been here a week. Who does he think he is? Because my generation, it was about, you know, putting in a lot of time and earning a seat at the table and all that. Um, and so there was a bit of resentment there. But my position has shifted. And I think a lot of the stuff that you just said is kind of reasoning for that. There is this drive. And yes, they expect to be heard, but they actually have pretty decent ideas if if mm -hmm. my generation is willing to just, you know, get off the porch and listen. Um are there things that you wish you were getting out of the older generation that you're not seeing? Uh, I think the number one thing that, that anyone can do to help the millennial generation is feedback, right? And it's giving feedback, but also asking for feedback, exactly what you're doing now, right? So um, we thrive on that. And again, I, I don't want to speak for everybody. I know I thrive on feedback. Um, and, it, you know, the more frequent, the better. Okay. So if you're seeing in a meeting that I'm, you know, it sounds like I'm saying something I shouldn't be saying, or, you know, I'm kind of speaking without having the expertise there. I would love for you to come up to me after the meeting and say, Hey, you know, just so you know, I don't know. I don't know if you meant it this way, but that's how it came off. And here are the gaps in your knowledge that made that sound, um, you know, that made that didn't sound so good. Um, that to me, that to me is hugely helpful, hugely it, it, feedback is a gift, right? Um, because that means to me, Oh, great. You, you care about what I'm saying and you want me to be better. So I will be better. 
Um, and I think another big part of it is asking for the feedback, right? So you're saying at first you were kind of, you know, offended by this, by this person, but then you thought, oh, okay, they, they actually have good ideas. So come at them and say, hey, you know, how did that sound? Did that sound okay? Or um, what can I do to better help you um, in, in your career? I think those are all, that, that to me is the biggest thing is the feedback. So this is this is really interesting to me, and I want to stick with this one for a second. And John, I'm going to ask you to weigh in on this too. So I completely agree with you. And at the same time, I'm pr- practically cracking up here because I'm thinking of a number of situations where some some younger person <laughs> has, has just come up and offered me their feedback. And I'm looking, I'm like, who the hell are you? <laughs> what, what, what made this okay for you to come up and think, you know, but, but, and this goes very, I think back to a, agile mindset thing if we are all peers regardless of who's in the room if we're all equal we should all be open to feedback and all be willing to give feedback and it is a gift and i think for myself talking myself down off the ledge there and being like you know what this is a very nice thing this person is doing you mm-hmm. should just put your ego down and listen to what they have to say um that's not always so easy for us for us older people no it's not easy for anyone right and by being that person who accepts the feedback from someone you're not expecting it from, you're modeling the behavior of how to accept feedback in a good way, right? So that millennial or whoever's giving you the feedback, they see how you take it, right? And now they know how they should take their feedback as well. Okay. So should they ask first? Because I'm thinking like, maybe you give me feedback. I'm like, hey, thanks. I really appreciate that. Now I'm going to give you some feedback. I really don't want to hear from you unless I ask you to to tell me how I'm yeah, doing. Uh, no, of course. <laughs> there's there's general like politeness principles. You don't want to just go at someone and tell them what they're doing wrong. You you should always ask if they're you know open to hearing about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's also it's a bit about understanding your audience, right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily go across you know generational lines. But I've had people where you know I give them instant feedback and then. Then later they're upset and they say, you should have just pulled me aside, not said that in front of everybody. And then I've had other people where I wait and I get them aside, give them some feedback. They're like, man, I wish you just said it right there. I could have corrected where I was. So it's kind of that it gets back to playing in the band, right? We've each got our different approaches to this. Uh, It doesn't mean one's better or worse. Uh, I always err on the side of instant feedback because that's what I want. If I'm standing in front of a room of 500 people and I'm messing something up, I want want one of them to tell me so I can fix it for the other 499, right? Okay. So are there... Are there specific approaches that you take when... And I'll give you an example in a minute. When you want to share some feedback with somebody so that you can do it in a way that makes it seem like you're in the same fight as them, on the same level as them. I mean, you've both talked about mentoring. I had a guy that I worked for who would occasionally come into my office and sit down and say, okay, listen, we're going to have a little mentoring moment right now. I'm going to drop some knowledge on you. And (laughs) to me, that's not very helpful. That's him saying, I'm better than you. You're dumb. Listen to what I'm saying. How do you approach that feedback or those discussions so that it makes the other person feel as though you are equals? I've had I've had some experiences with a couple of experts in this, and one that sticks out in my mind is uh, Sally Alada. She works for Agile Transformation Inc. And watching her interact with her company, her people that, that you know work for her, when she has feedback, 
she'll she'll take a minute and she'll smile and she'll say, listen, I'm going to give you a gift right now. And the <laughs> whole company accepts me back as a gift, right? She says, I'm going to I'm going to help you with what my perspective is, and then I want you to give me back a gift and tell me tell me how I can make my perspective better. Approaching it that way is a two way street. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to be the guy slamming slamming down the knowledge, right? Right. Sorry, my that's okay. You might as well introduce her. What's her name? <laughs> that is Evelyn Evelyn Rose Tanner. <laughs> New she special guest star on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might hear more from her later. Yeah. All right. So anyway, <laughs> go ahead with your story. No, but that, that was really it. So Sally's, Sally's approach to, you know, giving gifts or receiving gifts is a good way to look at it. And a couple other great mentors I've had, they phrase it more as a learning opportunity and a question and answer. It's not one-sided. It's not somebody just dropping the knowledge on you. It's them imparting their wisdom and asking for feedback on what their thoughts are so that they can grow from it too. Okay. And Jenny, yeah, go ahead. yeah, and I'll I'll add a little um, a little anecdote as well. When I when I first started uh, my career, one of my uh, one of the colleagues that I had who was um, part of the older generation uh, gave us four pieces of advice, and I think that this comes from somewhere. I don't know exactly where. It's called the four agreements. Uh, number one, do not take anything personally. Number two, do not assume. Number three, use your word impeccably. And number four, always do your best. And if everyone in the workplace can live by those four agreements, it makes for a much better environment for everyone. Um, You know, each one of those things is much harder uh, done than said. Um, And so she kind of advised me to try and practice at least one of those, you know, every week or so. and that's really helped. So, so do not take anything personally. You know, even if someone is giving you feedback that is specific to what you did or or how you performed, um, it's still not necessarily personal. They're trying to improve, you know, the performance of the team. They're trying to improve the 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 quality of the product that we're putting together. Um, you know, and and they're kind of reflecting to you how your actions impacted those things. Um, so it's all kind of as long as it's framed kind of for the better good, for the greater good, um, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to feel like a, a, a personal critique or anything like that. Sure. And there's a level of trust that's involved in that as well. Right. Because I'm sitting here thinking, well, I know they're giving me feedback that they think I need to hear, but maybe they think I need to hear it because they really need to boost themselves a little bit right now. Um, but I guess I'm just a little paranoid from being on the porch too long, watching all the <laughs> young people run around. Um what, so I, I kind of want to ask you guys a question. What's what's your perception of the millennial generation? Dave, I, you know, I know you said a couple of things about, you know, not necessarily liking it when people give feedback that's you no, know, unsolicited. I, <laughs> I, I don't think that's that's not really on millennials. I had I had a couple people work for me that I don't think it's really that. I, I mean, obviously they were millennials, but I think they were just just not awesome people. <laughs> I don't want to put everything else on them. I I have gotten a new perspective from the things that you said in this interview about the driven thing and the and the desire to be in the conversation whereas before I took a lot of it or I might have been inclined to take it as arrogance on their part. Like over entitled, why aren't you mm. listening to me? I've been here a week. I'm fresh out of school, but the president should of course listen to my ideas. Um and I think it's also a lot of it's probably dysfunction in my generation because we were the bunch of slackers that wanted to sit around and not do anything because we didn't think anything was going to happen anyway. So to be faced with a bunch of young people who are pushing that hard, it's 
it's just so different, you know? It's like the whole thing about the higher level of knowledge across a broader range. Like, I, I, can't, I can't get there because I'm still expecting the internet to just shut off one day. So <laughs> I have to have it all in my head. Um, but I think it's yeah. good that there's another way of looking at things. Yeah, and I think, so to your point about um, perceive it as arrogance when we come in and expect to participate, um, I I view it as more of a tendency toward curiosity, right? Yeah. Like we we want to be in all the conversations because we kind of want to absorb what's going on and and hear what everything is, and and then we can come up with our ideas. If we don't have that opportunity to sit in and listen, then it's going to take a long time for us to contribute. And and yeah, I don't think we want to sit around and wait for that. Um, why not just be included in the conversation from the start? Yeah. And see, and I can totally see where the, what you, exactly what you just said, it's going to take a long time for us to contribute. And I can see where a lot of people are like, yep, it should <laughs> <You're> just <laughs> sit down there and be quiet for a while. Um, so I think, I don't know, it's, it creates, um, I think some dissonance in the workspace, which is probably a very positive thing. I hope it's a positive thing, but I, I think that the more I learn about the millennials, the more I encounter it, the more I realize it's not I mean, the picture that was painted of your generation when they first entered the workforce was a little less than flattering. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that that's entirely deserved. Um, what about John? What do you, you got anything here? Yeah. So, I mean, I've seen both sides of it, right? Um, it, it's definitely good to include all the voices and get, get the newer voices in there because you're, you're never going to grow without them. But at the same time, if you march in and you're very fresh and you don't have those good ideas to share, it's time to take on, you know, the mentee role and actually learn a bit from your peers instead of marching in the room and demanding you be heard. And that's that's where some of that that identification of arrogance comes from is is the sort of people that and we, we've had them throughout the ages. It's not specific to millennials. It's just with the modern, you know, the modern world and instant communication and the way things are. Uh, we're really laser focused on it. You can't walk in ask for a seat at the table, get it, and then start and have no idea what you're going to say, right? Yeah. <laughs> Either be there, be there to listen and learn and grow a voice or stay silent and learn from those that have a voice. And some people can walk in the room day one and they're, you know, they're super great at what they do. A lot of people, it takes getting their legs underneath them you know, and stretching out a bit, figuring out, figuring out how to stand up in that environment. Yeah, I think maybe the one thing that makes it a little dicey sometimes is I have seen a, a number of people and i don't know if this is generationally specific or not it just tends to shine a little bit more when it's a millennial but when they they enter a room a meeting or whatever and they really want to contribute and they haven't taken the time to listen and they just start contributing and then everybody in the room spends the rest of the meeting kind of bringing them up to speed um mm. which i don't think is a i think that's just a personality thing that some people have they just but, but maybe being part of the generation where they feel a little more entitled to be able to speak up or to be able to contribute um whereas mine would maybe be a little more inclined to wait too long to contribute well and i think that's you know a perfect opportunity to practice the feedback loop to take that person aside after the meeting and say hey just so you know you know this is how you came off and um it, it wasn't you know we, we had to spend a lot of time kind of circling around it so maybe next time um take a moment <laughs> to listen and understand before before 
uh, derailing the conversation. Yeah. But, and so, again, I don't, I'm kind of coming around to the idea that it's not generationally specific. It's just certain people in certain circumstances. Um, I want to ask you one thing about your job choices. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were a program manager, and now you're a project manager, which for a lot of project managers, that would seem like you've taken a step in the other direction, like back down the ladder. Yeah. So what wh- what is the difference there? Why did you make that choice? Yeah, I can definitely see how uh how that looks. Um to me, I I moved into a completely different industry. I started my job in in federal IT consulting. Um and so I, I rose through the ranks there to become program manager. Um and when I moved to huge, I start I moved to an environment where I was going to be working with commercial clients, um, you know, clients that that I didn't know how to work with. Um and uh it was gonna be kind of very different work. It's a lot more design focused, a lot more um uh strategic focused. And so um I I knew that I would have a lot to learn and um not only that, but it's also a small office in, in DC right now. I think we're about 60 people. When I was joining, we were about 40 people. Okay. So uh, there weren't a whole lot of um, roles open at the time. And when I saw the project manager role open up, I, I decided to jump at the opportunity. And again, it goes back to what you said in the beginning. It's it's To me, it was about working with a really, really cool set of people that really know their stuff and yeah. that do great work. So to me, like the title isn't all that important. Um, it's important to me that I'm part of a rock star team that does really, really interesting work. And digital is more fun. <laughs> it is. It's very fun. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. I, I, I love that crowd. Um, the digital project management crowd, I think is amazing. Um, all right. So can I ask you another question about working at a digital agency? Slightly sure. off topic from the millennial thing. Can you, can you comment for a moment on your use of Agile? Because this is something I talk with a lot of DPMs about. And they're all, they come to my classes and they want to use Agile. And, in, and from all the research that I've done and most of the folks that I've talked to, it's just, it's a little rough getting it into that model because of the relationship with the client. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting. I, I just was actually having this conversation yesterday at our, um, at our alumni event with uh, Steve Maynard, who works at um, the Scaled Agile Framework. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> It's been a change for me. So when I was at SRA, I worked with John and Steve and they, you know, as I say, they, they brainwashed me good on the agile thing. Right. Um, I, I am a hundred percent all about agile. You know, I have a Kanban board at home. Um, I'm all about it. But when I came to huge, you know, we, we kind of started doing our projects and I'm like, okay, great. We're going to do this process. You know, we're going to do standups and we're going to do a Kanban board and we're going to write user stories. And everyone's kind of like, yeah, okay. But like, you know, why? You know, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll just do it well. And if it's not good, then we'll, we'll, you know, fix it and go back and then yeah. change things up and then we'll just do a good job. And I'm like, wait, but how are we structuring these things? So, um, th- it's almost like the, the whole agile mindset is, is pre-baked in. It's already there. We already care about, you know, responding to change versus following a plan. We also, we already care about, um, you know, individuals and interactions over processes and tools. It's, it, it's implicit. It's not a question, you know, and, and the agile tools that are available to us, like Kanban boards and user stories. Right. Yeah, we'll use them when they're appropriate, when it makes sense, when it helps us out. If it doesn't help us out, 
we'll just, we'll do what we need to do, you know? So, um, that's been a kind of a mindset shift for me, uh, to say like, oh, okay, we, we don't have to do this super rigorous process. You know, we'll, we'll just, we all agree that those are the values we hold already. Okay. So it's, it, oh, good. there's something, there's something on that interesting too, Dave, at, at the Agile 2016 conference, there was a lot of talk about, you know, is it time for a new manifesto? Is it time to rename Agile? And it's still going on in the community. Everybody's talking about that. Is it time for a new manifesto? And what we've got to think about is, is when that Agile manifesto was signed, you know, 2001, right? Uh, people in the workforce now, they're like, I was, I was five years old when that was signed. That doesn't, that doesn't even reflect the world around us. So it is, it's, it's becoming a lot less about, about specific principles that, that many of us Agilists hold dear and more about what, what are the guiding visions, the guiding principles. Let's take away some of the clutter of Agile, make it a little cleaner. Uh, we don't have to have all these strict rules and regulations around it. Uh, okay. So Agile, Agile becoming overloaded is, is starting to backfire on that generation from what I'm seeing. It's just it, it doesn't reflect where the world is now with the technology and the rapid change. Yeah. So if this will be the the final question, if agile is something that was created by earlier generations for the millennial crowd, is there a shift that, that you guys think needs to happen within the space? Or maybe John, like maybe it's something you said, like a new manifesto, like what, what about agile needs to change to be more supportive of the millennial generation? That's a big question. Um, or let me ask you slightly differently. What do you wish was more present in agile? than than you see right now i mean i think agile right now is still but so from the classes that i've taken with john and steve and others the one thing that's hammered home all the time is that agile is a mindset not a process but i think that that misconception still exists that it is about the process and and you know the rest of agile as you learn it definitely seems like it's all about the process. Yeah. So how can we how can we go back to the ethos of like it's it's a mindset. It's just about agility. It's about kind of doing things well and if they're not good then you go back and fix it and you know you iterate on that. Like how how I, I wish that there was more of of a focus on that rather than the specific practices of agile processes okay yeah yeah i would say i mean the main transition that that we're seeing is yeah we're stepping away from looking at specific frameworks oh if you put scrum in you're going to be just fine well not necessarily and kanban Mm -hmm. might not your space either it might be something brand new and novel for your organization it's really about it's about providing value that meets a mission and the organizational structure to support that and your people. I'm a very huge proponent of the Toyota for life system, right? Our people are going to be there for life. So we're going to grow them in our system and we're going to support them. That's number one. From that, good products will grow. And it's one of the things I always teach in my classes. If you build a good team, they're going to build good products. It's the same thing for an organization. If you build a good organization, they're going to build good teams and they're going to build good products. So I think focus back on that. And stepping away from the methodology wars is going to be critical because it, it drives so many people away right now that we're still talking semantics of frameworks instead of talking about the real vision. Yeah. Another another thing, um, I listened to uh, Marcy Jacobs' podcast that we went up yesterday, um, is is kind of the integration of the user-centric approach into yeah. Agile. And, and it needs to be, I think, 
it needs to run throughout. It can't be two separate things anymore. And it, it definitely can't be at odds at each other. How, how do you marry them so that there is a focus on design and on strategic thinking and on understanding the users instead of just a focus on building things fast? Yeah. I think all of that sounds awesome. I think it's a really, it's going to take, and maybe it's just because I'm old, <laughs> I feel like it's going to take a long time for, for design thinking to be completely baked through everything that we're doing and all the agile stuff in there. Like, well, there's one guy I asked how long he thought it would take for this to be more pervasive in the system. And he said he thought it would take a whole generation would have to pass through the workforce, uh, which would be a shame, but it will definitely raise the maturation level of everybody who's working and hopefully we'll have better stuff to deal with. My hope. Don't worry, you'll you'll get a millennial who comes in your conference room tomorrow and has an idea on how to make it happen right now. <laughs> and I'll say, listen, kid. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you guys both for doing the interview. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave. All right. 